Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. There's some I keep inviting back because new developments, things we thought we knew and and now we find out we weren't told everything. That's the kind of uh, conversation we're going to have today with my good friend. We have recently met in New York City and had a cup of coffee and a great conversation. Dr. Guy McPherson, Ph.D. Welcome, Guy, back to the show. How are you? Thank you, Marcello. It's good to chat with you again. My pleasure. I want to, uh, uh, just to remind everyone, we, may, we have a lot of new listeners, I understand, from the team. Dr. Guy McPherson, Ph.D., is the author of at least 14 weather-related books and many articles and videos about climate change. He is a professor emeritus of conservation biology at the University of Arizona and a leading voice educating us about abrupt climate change. Dr. McPherson joins us today to remind us that nature bats last, meaning, I believe, among other things, we should be expecting abrupt climate change. We, I think, are seeing evidence of that, but we'll let him uh, confirm or deny that. Yet this isn't a gloom and doom program. Dr. McPherson comes with a spiritual take, dare I say. Since December 2016, Dr. McPherson has had a regular column for the weekly Hubris in Greece. We welcome the reasonable voice of Guy R. McPherson, Ph.D., Professor Emeritus, University of Arizona, because he gives us insight and perception and truth. Welcome back, Guy. How are you? It's a pleasure, thank you, and interesting you bring up my spiritual message in that just today on my blog, GuyMcPherson.com, I posted a short video clip in which I point out that I came across this study recently. It was published in 2018, and the study indicates that the last, the most frequently used word for death row inmates in Texas, and Texas is the model state because in the United States, that's where most of the death row inmates are executed. The most common word used by 140 death row inmates was love. 
and it was used more than 300 times in these final statements of the 140 inmates. So that indicates to me that as people are facing their own demise or facing their own death, that what comes to mind for them, what they think about and what they express is love. And I think that's important. I think it's it's interesting and it's important that people are not thinking about, for example, when am I going to get my last meal? How am I going to get another pair of shoes? How am I going to do something to somebody? Instead, it's about love. And mm. at the risk of overusing the word, I love that message. Mm-hmm. And you know you breezed through your website where we could see this video. Could you uh, mention that again slowly for us? Yeah, the name of it is Nature Bat Blast, as you indicated, and the URL is my name dot com guy mcpherson dot com and i think even if you spell mcpherson wrong by sticking an extra a in there or something like that mm-hmm. it'll still come up within the first page okay uh, but that's guy g-u-y mcpherson m-c-p-h-e-r-s-o-n he's our guest today and thank you for starting our program together uh, guy in the way that you did what what is the intergovernmental panel of, on climate change and remind us because I'm aware that I remember on my birthday 925 they came out with a report but remind us please what that what it is the IPCC and um, and and what it had to say in that report yeah this is the intergovernmental panel on climate change and it's an as it indicates an intergovernmental panel so mm-hmm. it covers most of the industrialized nations in the world. And they get together periodically and produce an assessment, a very comprehensive assessment Mm -hmm. based on working groups comprised of climate scientists literally from all over the world. Mm -hmm. They produce a very comprehensive and very conservative report, the latest of which, as you indicated, was published late last year, and indicating that we have until 2030 to make profound changes in our behavior before we go over some sort of tipping point or it's a little because the IPCC rarely recognizes tipping points or self-reinforcing feedback loops and because they've yet to acknowledge the full impact of the aerosol masking effect it's sometimes a little confusing trying to understand what they're saying Hmm. because we've passed many of these tipping points or self-reinforcing feedback loops already. So to claim that we're not going to hit one until 2030 if we don't change our behavior is a little disingenuous. But again, that's just reflective of conservative nature of the, of the body, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and the politicians that it represents. For example, each of the working groups requires consensus within the working group. Mm. So if you have 20 scientists in a group and 19 of them indicate that we are at point B, but the 20th of them them says, no, we're, we're still at point zero, we haven't gone to point B yet, we're still at point A, Mm -hmm. then the consensus is that we're still at point A. And then even after that conservative approach, the 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 politicians within each of the countries have an opportunity to 
change the wording of the report, and they almost always change it so that it is more conservative than what was already produced. So you can imagine where this goes. Do you think, uh, not that I put a great deal of faith in politicians in any country, but is this some sort of genuine, uh, sincere effort not to panic the public, or are they, or what else might it be? I guess I, I shouldn't put you on the spot for giving conjecturing about uh, someone's motivation, least of all a politician. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think when they started out, when they were created uh, a quarter of a century ago, they had good intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this was an opportunity to create a truly intergovernmental panel so there wasn't the overwhelming influence of a few scientists in one or a few countries Mm -hmm. to report what's actually going on in the world of climate change and so I think that was a fine idea and unfortunately I I believe they've lost their way because Mm -hmm. the process by which they operate is so unbelievably conservative and that shouldn't be that shouldn't come as a big surprise Mm -hmm. because the nature of science itself is very conservative and academic science in particular is even more conservative and so of course the more bodies you add to the room and the more governments you add to the process the more conservative the report is going to become because nobody wants to be the the nail that sticks up and therefore gets pounded down. Yes. You know what? Let's go from that this conservative conversation to a radical question. Is it true that there is a mass insect extinction underway? And if so, why should we humans be concerned about it? Yeah, what's been called the insect apocalypse was first reported in Germany in nature preserves. Mm-hmm. And that was alarming enough to, to discover that in these nature preserves, which are well-protected locations, the insects were disappearing at an astonishingly rapid rate. Mm. And then a similar study was conducted in what we would call the developed world, or in this case, the overdeveloped world, mm. in on islands in the Caribbean. And similar results were discovered that insects are disappearing all around the globe. So now we're looking at the Western Hemisphere and the Eastern Hemisphere. We're looking at nature preserves and we're looking at places that are heavily impacted by human activities. Mm -hmm. And the insects are going extinct. And the numbers of insects, even within non-extinct populations, are rapidly declining. So it's been accurately, I believe, called an insect apocalypse. Yes. And this is really, really important because insects pollinate so much of our food. Insects are responsible for filtering our water to provide our clean water. At least they they make the first pass at it. Mm. Insects are responsible for decomposing all the organic matter that would otherwise accumulate. You know, if, if we didn't have decomposers and therefore no trees decomposed into soil after mm-hmm. they died, mm-hmm. it would be a pretty messy world to try to get through within a few years. Mm-hmm. So insects do a lot for us beyond simply pollinating plants, and we don't much appreciate those tiny things. In yes. fact, we tend to take them for granted. But they perform all these incredible activities that allow us to continue our daily lives 
And of course we don't see them much, we don't hear them much, and when we do, we think they're an annoyance mm. because they're buzzing in our ear at night, that sort of thing. Yes. But they're really, really important for maintaining all the ecosystem services that we take for granted. Yes. Okay. I imagine also birds live off of them, and that might be some connection to the, what is it, three billion? How many birds have disappeared since 90 species have disappeared since the 1950s? But let, let us, uh, let's move on, I guess. Can, can you give us a bit of, of, of history, a bit of a history lesson on global dimming? I don't know that we hear that term a great deal, or at least I haven't. I mean, I've heard it, but certainly not as much as some of the other uh, labels that are thrown out there to try and warn us, wake us up. What What is global dimming? Right. Global dimming, or the aerosol masking effect, is produced when we burn fossil fuels. Now, almost all of us know at this point that when we burn fossil fuels, we put up greenhouse gas, mm -hmm. including methane and carbon dioxide, for example. Uh, H2O, water vapor, is the most common of the greenhouse gases. And these greenhouse gases trap mostly infrared radiation so that the sunlight comes through the atmosphere warms up the earth and then these greenhouse gases act like a greenhouse they act like your car in the parking lot they trap the long wave radiation so that it can't escape and therefore warms up your car or in this case warms up our planet hmm. what most people are not familiar with because and and stunningly i studied climate change since the early 1980s hmm from a scholarly perspective, very intently. And I came across the aerosol masking effect this year, earlier this year, after studying the issue for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's indicative of most people's lack of understanding because it's one of the most underreported impacts or outcomes of climate change. And so here's the thing. At the same time, industrial activity produces greenhouse gases that trap heat Industrial activity also produces aerosols that go into the mid to upper atmosphere and serve as something of an umbrella. They prevent the sunlight from even coming in and striking the earth. Therefore, that incoming sunlight can't warm up the earth. Mm. It acts as a shield. The aerosol masking effect or global dimming mm -hmm. is something of a shield that keeps incoming sun, sunlight from even striking the earth and as you might expect with the academic peer-reviewed literature over time we have discovered that it is increasingly important it was reported on initially in 1929 wow. believe it or not mm -hmm. again i only found this paper earlier this year there's a paper in the peer-reviewed literature by a guy named Anders Angstrom on the atmospheric transition of sun radiation and on dust in the air. And it's from Geophysica Analair, which is a publication obviously not from the United States, and I'm probably mispronouncing the name. And in this paper, he points out, using a conservative approach based on the physics of the atmosphere, mm -hmm. that industrial activity is actually serving to cool the Earth at the same time it's warming the Earth. And due to a paper in 2013 by Levy and colleagues, and then another in 2019, earlier this year, by Rosenfeld and colleagues, and then another by also 
Delta this year, mm-hmm. from July, I believe it was, we know that those earlier impacts have been under estimates. And so it appears now that as little as a 20% reduction in industrial activity will cause an abrupt increase in temperature of about one degree Celsius. That's profound. That's wow. an incredible increase in temperature as a result of a relatively minor decrease in industrial activity. So what this tells me is that because industrial activity produces those dangerous greenhouse gases, of course we want to reduce the emission of greenhouse gases, which are overheating the planet. Yes. But on the other hand, if we do that, at the same time we cause those aerosols to fall out of the sky, and therefore cause an even more abrupt heating of the planet. So it's, it's a classic damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, yes. because if we remove the air, the greenhouse gases at the same, we don't know how to do that without also removing the aerosols. And that drives a very rapid increase in global average temperature, somewhere between five days, according to James Hansen, and six weeks, which is the consensus of other other climate scientists. So very, you know, way faster than organisms can react, way faster than trees or any other vegetation can move to keep up. So it, it presents us with this predicament, with this dilemma, that we've been told over and over again to reduce emissions, and yet if we do, that is almost certain to cause uh, an even more abrupt rise in temperature than just keeping the game going at this point. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're talking to, or listening to, more importantly, Dr. Guy McPherson, Ph.D., and well, we're going to be back, and I think the, one of the first questions I'm going to ask you, Guy, when we return is, why has the aerosol masking effect not been revealed to us sooner? Stay with us. We'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Guy McPherson, Ph.D. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Every once in a while, a young actor or actress gives a truly career-defining performance. Think Abigail Breslin in Little Miss Sunshine, or Quavin Zane Wallace in Beasts of the Southern Wild. Occasionally, filmgoers are lucky enough to witness two such performances at once, as with The Spectacular Now, starring Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley. Teller plays Sutter Keeley, a high school senior who focuses on having fun and living in the now, never fretting about the future. Following a night of drunken revelry, he wakes up on the front lawn of Amy Finnecke, a shy, nerdy girl played by Woodley. A spark develops between the two as they traverse senior year, but their growing relationship is threatened by Sutter's increasingly self-destructive behavior. The Spectacular Now is a heartfelt and realistic teenage relationship story, shining in large measure thanks to the compelling performances of Teller and Woodley, who shared a special jury prize at the Sundance Film Festival. Their scenes together provide honest vulnerability and palpable uncertainty, combining tension and tenderness in equal measure. The Spectacular Now lands with worthy impact for those in the age bracket and for the rest of us who remember it so well. The Spectacular Now, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices news radio program. I am talking with Dr. Guy McPherson, Ph.D., author of many, many books and articles concerning climate change. Also videos. He mentioned the video at the beginning of the first segment, a brand new one, 
uh, why don't you tell us a, a guy ex again your website and how we can see that video because it really sounded like an eye-opening experience on you know we always hear people dying on the battlefield the last thing they say is tell my wife i love her and this is sort of a version of that give us that website again and nature bats last etc yeah, Nature Bats Last can be found at GuyMcPherson.com. That's G-U-Y-M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. No A's in McPherson. Oh. GuyMcPherson.com. And I did post that video this morning, and it has received a lot of positive attention so far. Wonderful. Okay, as I promised, the first question I want to ask in the second segment is, why has the aerosol masking effect not been revealed to the public? You know, so many things go viral on social media that I think aren't worth the time. But this certainly should have been. Why? Who's deciding what we see and hear? Well, I, I hypothesized in my latest peer-reviewed journal article, which came out in September 2019 in Clinical Psychology Forum. Uh, I have a paper there called Going Halfway. Climate mm. reports ignore the full evidence and therapists ignored brief recovery. And my hypothesis is that precluding full information is among the many strategies by which the fully informed are able to extract fiat currency from the masses. Hmm. So that's one possible motive underlying the relative absence of grief recovery from conversations about grieving. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear a lot about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the five stages of grief and how you go back and forth and maybe you're in acceptance for a while, but if you don't tell people about grief recovery, then they keep going to the therapist, they keep going to the counselor and paying the counselor to to consistently have them land at, at full acceptance, but that's not the whole game. Just as ignoring feedback loops in the aerosol masking effect encouraged the uninformed masses to leave fossil fuels untouched, therefore unconsumed, so does ignoring the potential for recovery from grief facilitate the transfer of money from the uninformed masses to those with access to information. And I think we both know, Marcello, that the people who have access to the full information mm. are the people who make a lot of money and, and retain that money. And among the ways they do that are by withholding information from the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to uh, I'm going to return un uncharacteristically of me. I'm going to leave the politics for a moment, but there's a and back to the science that you're telling us. I think, and I want to make certain I, uh, we're understanding it that when aerosols thin, if that's a correct way of of referring to it, the result is a lack of cooling of the earth and not a warming effect. That's, uh, yeah, okay, go right. I had more, but you jump right in. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's like um, on a cloudy day when suddenly the clouds open up and it's been cool, you're cooled by the clouds but it's about to become a searing hot summer day because the clouds just open up. Uh -huh. Well, imagine that in the upper atmosphere. And so that's what's going on here. We have this aerosol masking effect. The, the sunlight coming in is masked by the aerosols, and those aerosols drop out of the atmosphere very quickly, so between five days and six weeks. And when they do, it creates this hole or this thinning, as you indicate, in the masking effect and allows more sunlight to penetrate locally at first, then regionally, then throughout the world. Mm. For example, when 
switched away from coal into nuclear power in, I believe it was 2003, then almost immediately there was a heat wave that killed 70,000 people in France. Oh, yes. That, you might remember that. Some of our listeners might remember that. Exactly. And, and it was basically a, a, a direct impact of local, or in that case, regional dimming. Well, does that mean that taking aerosols out of the equation, global temperatures would remain steady but too hot? They would spike rapidly. Uh-huh. Temperatures would spike rapidly. One degree C as a result of reducing industrial activity only 20%. Wow. That's an enormous increase in global average temperature. You have to bear in mind that we're only about 1.8 degrees Celsius above the 1750 baseline. So an additional one degree in a span of days or weeks is just absolutely tremendous. Yeah. So then explain what happens. I mean, when, regardless of our current climate change dilemma, what happens when we do what seems to be the right thing at the moment without considering all the possible outcomes? I mean... And I'm talking about uh, the educated, the scientist, um, not considering all the possible outcomes, because I'm not certain, speaking for myself, that I could think of all the possible outcomes. Right. Right. You know, it's interesting. William Stanley Jevons pointed out in his book, The Coal Question, published in 1865, Mm that attempts, attempts to conserve a finite material produce the opposite outcome expected by most people. Rather than reducing overall consumption by promoting conservation, that typically shifts consumption from one group of users to another. Mm. So this phenomenon has come to be known as the Jevons Paradox, and it helps explain why interests represented by the corporate media and the governments now desire all of us to forego the use of fossil fuels. Well. We now know, and we've known since at least 1865, when Jevons published his book, that every calorie of energy unused by most of us is going to be used by wealthy individuals. That's Mm. just the way it has worked since at least 1865, and I suspect will continue to work. So what happens when we're constantly told to conserve energy, when we're constantly told to stop burning that coal and burning it out, it doesn't actually ever reduce the amount of coal and oil used. It just shifts who is doing the consuming. Oh, my God. So so the question then is, qui bono? Who benefits? Yes. It's not, it's not me and you, Marcello. Mm. It's not most of our listeners today. You know, <laughs> there are times, more than a few times, when I ask you a question, I think I'm ready for the answer. That is, I have some idea of where you're going. And it seemed you were starting off on that path, but that last piece of it, we're not saving the energy. We're just redistributing who uses the energy. So I'm glad you said that. I'm, I'm glad I heard that. What then are, because I think you've mentioned this. I know you have today. We kind of slipped by, I think. What are climate cycle feedbacks? Yeah, the self-reinforcing feedback loops are mm, a, good, a good example, not from the climate literature is maybe a snowball rolling down a hill. And so a human being might make this snowball and roll it up until it's real big and then take it to a hill and push it over the edge. 
And now it's beyond human control. Mm-hmm. Once human, once the human being gave it that push, it starts rolling, and the further it goes, the more snow it picks up, but the more snow it picks up, the more momentum it has, and so it goes crashing down the hill. And, and there's no point in a human being trying to stop it now. Mm-hmm. If you stand in its way, you're just going to get run over. But these self-reinforcing feedback loops on the climate front are somewhat similar. An example is methane that is bubbling out of the Arctic Ocean. And if you've been paying attention at all over the course of the last few few days, you've seen papers in Newsweek and many other corporate outlets reporting these large bubbles, large concentrations of methane Mm -hmm. being emitted from the Arctic Ocean. And the more methane, methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas, more than 150 times more powerful than carbon dioxide, molecule for molecule. So a little bit of methane goes a long way. That methane bubbles out of the Arctic Ocean, goes into the atmosphere, immediately begins heating that region, and therefore causing more methane to bubble out of the Arctic Ocean Mm. because it's heating up the Arctic Ocean. The the hotter the Arctic Ocean gets, the more methane is released from the relatively shallow seafloor of the Arctic Ocean. This this study was taking place on the East Siberian Arctic Shelf, the largest continental shelf in the world. Mm -hmm. And so a little bit of heating causes even more abrupt release of methane, which causes more heating, which causes more abrupt release of methane. And so you can see that the snowball that is going down the hill and nobody wants to get in the way of it, it gets crushed. I really appreciate your being on the show. I know you're not feeling well today, but we need to hear from you. I just wonder, a couple of more questions if you don't mind. What do you think life on Earth will look like in 2049, 30 years from now? Oh, you know, predictions are tough, especially about the future. Yes. And and we're talking about what seems like a long time from now. But it is. From my perspective, 30 years in 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 the days of abrupt climate change is a very long time. So we're going to have to take this with a huge grain of salt, maybe a salt mine of salt. How would that be? Okay. Um, It's difficult for me to imagine there will be a human being on Earth, even in a bunker, because the insect apocalypse will be all gone. The nuclear power plants, more than 450 of them around the world, will have melted out catastrophically, spewing ionizing radiation into the atmosphere, potentially causing the stripping away of the atmosphere and leading us on our way to Mars instead of Venus, but maybe not, and instead we'll, we'll quote, only go Venus and heat the planet to such a high level that the oceans will begin boiling away by 2049. It's difficult for me to imagine there being any of what we consider complex life left. I think in 2049 there will be the kinds of organisms that are that are tiny and are well adapted to extreme conditions, the extremophiles in the oceans, for example. But beyond that, beyond the microbes that live seven miles beneath the surface of the earth, beyond the extremophiles that live at the thermal vents in the deep oceans, beyond relatively small organisms that can find a place to hide away for extended periods of time, I just don't see much hope for complex life on Earth. You know, we're in the midst of a mass extinction event, and the previous mass extinction events have removed more than 50% of the species from the planet. This, is, this one is proceeding 
about 10 times faster than the worst of them, the great dying from 252 million years ago. And so I think we should expect it to be worse. And and the great dying caused the extinction of between 90 and 95% of life on Earth. How much worse could it be? Uh, it, it's difficult for me to even imagine to, to see that world that has so little life left. And to even think about it is demoralizing enough without you know, trying to put specifics on it, like which species are going to last and, and, and what's the essentially dead planet going to look like and how might it recover. Yeah, that makes necessary, all the more necessary for me to mention uh, what I believe is your latest book. I love the title, and that's exactly what we need to hear, I think, at this point. Only Love Remains, Dancing at the Edge of Extinction. Tell us about that. Who publishes it? Where can we get it? But give us some idea of where the title came from. Who were the people who worked on this book? And what are we supposed to get out of it? Yeah, so that is my latest book. It was published in February of this year, February 2019. It's called Only Love Remains, Dancing at the Edge of Extinction. And that's just my response to us facing extinction. We're in the midst of a mass extinction event. And it's almost certainly going to take humans out relatively early in the process. And so my response is, let's dance. Mm. Your response might be different. I'm not telling people what to do. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty of historical precedents for people knowing they were facing marauding tribes, marauding hordes during war. And they decided, for example, to dance off the cliff the women and children as the men had all been killed already in the war. Mm. So there are many ways to deal with the, with the notion that we are going to die. Mm -hmm. How are you going to live your final days? I propose living with honesty, with brutal honesty. You know, somebody in hospice almost never lies to the remaining family members mm -hmm. about what they're thinking and what they're going to do in their last days or weeks. Mm -hmm. The title and the idea came about from a speaking tour in New Zealand hosted by my dear friend Kevin Hester, mm -hmm. who is a Kiwi. Mm -hmm. And my partner Pauline and I went and roamed around for three weeks in New Zealand delivering presentations and ultimately came to the conclusion that at least for the three of us, as we face our demise, there's gratitude for every day, yes. and there's love. Yes. And so, at least for the three of us, love remains. And and that's the title of the short video at timeofcursing.com that I posted this morning, is Love Remains, even for death row inmates. And if they can find it in themselves to find the love and deliver a loving message, as they face the most horrible of personal circumstances, then maybe we can do that too. Yes. Maybe that's even not a bad idea. Exactly. Which brings me to what I think made me first uh, invite you to be on my show oh, more than two years ago, I believe, and that was uh, you coined the phrase, passionately pursue a life of excellence. Uh, take us out on that. Yeah, and that's the tagline for my blog. When you go to guidedperson.com, that's what it says. Nature by blast, passionately pursue a life of excellence. And why would we not? Yes. Even if, even if we have 
hundreds of years, even if you and I are each going to live another 50 or 60 years, Marcello, uh-huh. why would we not passionately pursue a life that we would consider an excellent life? Yes. Why would we do it any differently? Exactly. And so I'm, I'm convinced that our time is short because of this rapidly accelerating process of above climate change. But even if it's not, even if our species persists for another thousand years, even if you and I live for several more decades, then is there a better way to go than by passionately pursuing the life of excellence? I can't see what it might be. And so that remains my tagline these, these dozen or so years later. Yes. Even as, as the climate situation gets worse and worse by the day. Well, I'll tell you, I, I certainly have adopted it. I, I used to was sign, as a matter of fact, even before I talked to you, I used to sign all my letters and then emails with uh, committed to the, the excellence of truth. And I love that still. But I also love passionately pursue a life of excellence. We have been talking with Dr. Guy McPherson, Ph.D., and as I often say, even more importantly, we have been listening to Dr. Guy McPherson. I encourage everyone to visit his his blog, Nature Bats Last, at guymcpherson.com. There are videos, there are articles, there are more and more books. Uh, thank you so much, Guy, for being on the show again today, and we appreciate your information, education, and inspiration. How's that? The pleasure is all mine, Marcello. I look forward to the next time. You got it. Take care and all the best, and stay in touch, really. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. And now a special preview of Wildest Dreams, a new single by Mark Scabilia. Pacing through the dark in this cold apartment I step out on the fire escape I look at where we are and where we started and where we'd like to be someday If this is as far as we get If this is as high as we go I will rest in peace But I won't fall asleep Cause it's better than my wildest dreams And it's nothing Doesn't it look beautiful? And nothing lasts forever, so whatever happened, I just wanted you to know. If this is as far as we get, if this is as high as we go, I will rest in peace, but I won't fall asleep, cause it's better than my wildest dreams. My wildest dreams, my wildest dreams, my wildest dreams.
Light fills up the room and the streets start singing a new song to another day. I'd sleep an hour or two, but our phones are ringing and I feel the rumble of the train. If this is as far as we get, if this is as high as we go, I will rest in peace, but I won't fall asleep, cause it's better than my wildest dreams. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. The devil is in the details of Trump's mental state and Pence's deniability. Whether indicted or defeated, who among us believes Trump will honor America's electoral exceptionalism, the peaceful transfer of power? Then what will we do with a president who twisted his oath of office into preserving white supremacy, protecting the wealthiest three families now owning more wealth than the bottom half of the country, and defending a Soviet KGB Putin's constituting a new Russia? When will Democratic candidates accept that while Bevin's anti-teacher attacks and Trump's impeachable offenses contributed to GOP defeat, it was Obama's Affordable Care Act that tipped Kentucky State House blue? Where can decent patriotic Americans find Lincoln in a party of senators like Rand Paul, Lindsey Graham, and Louisiana's John Kennedy, preserving, protecting, and defending not America with a truth that sets us free, but a president they know to be guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors? Why are liberals and independent voters not electing to progressively bridge the gap between each other, non-voters, and civil and full citizenship rights of gender equality for all females, as the prudent and balanced forward vision for a nation wounded by addiction to over-consumerism, trivial pursuits, and simple solutions to complex challenges. How else will we recover and thrive in unity after the divisiveness of state governments not understanding the necessity of common cause and a national government manipulating those stuck in 20th century myths to benefit 21st century political power plays, aiding and abetting an out-of-control president incapable of caring about those who voted for him and of understanding the office to which he was elected? After countless media smirks and social media orange hair, hand sighs, and moronic jokes, we're dangerously close to missing the risk to America. Nonetheless, our 2020 election is not just about Trump, for right-wing races are challenging democracy and threatening innocence around the world. But we must clean our own house before future victory is washed away by our past sins against humanity. It's about missing what's truly happening to the courage that founded our home of the brave aspiration, being usurped by talking points propaganda, denying children vaccine protections, plummeting reading math and science scores, teens bullied to death, others hooked on opiates and vaping, believing systemic false advertising, while we preach we are the best in a world simultaneously melting and drowning in our denial. Even the life expectancy of Americans, like our international standing, has been trending downwards since Trump announced his unpresidential candidacy June 16, 2015. 
Yet, it's not just the no-matter-what-Trumpers, but the never-Trump conservatives denying Trump is the GOP, who've stained America the beautiful. So let's cease and desist with Civil War reruns expecting America wins. 40% of Americans have elected 100% of us into the harm's way of greed so overpowering that those it consumes would rather grant someone who is not of sound mind control of massive nuclear destruction power, making us puppets of a vicious anti-humane foreign power, than admit there's far less semblance of courage, character, constitutional respect, or working knowledge of governance in the Trump-Pence administration than in Mark Zuckerberg's brand of profitable free speech. We need to learn the lessons found in striking West Virginia teachers that inspired a nation of teachers, students, and parents to say this far but no farther to corporatism. Galvanized in the realization that not all in the land of the free have the freedom to freely travel the discriminating freeway of free enterprise. We need a new birth, nay, a new burst of freedom to set us free from the shackles of those who would impose a trumped America on us, no matter the cost to our children's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet, it's not just mesmerized voters trotting along, eyes averted like non-voters, by myopic media fueling on Saudi Arabian-infested tweets, billionaire come lately, and Russian Facebook trolls. It's about allowing reason to fall victim to rhetoric of right-wing extremists, cheerleading a president mentally, psychologically, and morally too akin to past demagogues and present despots. So dare we ask, as people and nation, what kind of country do we want to be, and what kind of people do we have to be and elect to make it so? For our 2020 votes will be the answer. We hold these truths to be self-evident by emulating the courageous patriotism of Anonymous, sharing the unifying peace discovered when internalizing the pragmatic wisdom of love thy neighbor as thyself, absolving ourselves of the demeaning, ugly American mentality of a trumped America. We resurrect our international mission, our individual honor, and our national character, keeping Franklin's Republic in the hands of the people, by the people, and for we the people. Thus resolved we embody, all are created equal with inalienable rights. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices. Heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Com website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.